Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, Rod, here we are, and guess what? The roster is set, according to Tom Izzo, and a recent article came out, Graham Couch, where he interviewed Izzo, and there's been a lot of talk consternation within Spartan Nation on adding people to the portal, what's happened to Max Christie. We've talked about on the show quite a bit on people coming and going. And I think just to reiterate a little bit what you said in the past, I think it's probably worth expanding on a little bit to start with here. And namely, I think the the key point is that sometimes adding people isn't adding some, adding, making you better. And I think this is something that is really hard for us to understand until you think about it in another context. I work in the operating room and sometimes having someone, an extra person, you think, wow, it'd be great if we had someone come in and say, do these three tasks. But if that person comes in and does those three tasks poorly, or if they come in and do those tasks um, really slowly, or perhaps they are a toxic individual and that no one wants to work with them, that you may have turned your team into something that would have been productive. And now you become dysfunctional and you're actually worse off, even though you may have someone who brought, you've brought in to actually do the, do the deal. And I think, one thing that's hard to to recognize is what the role is, I think, of a head coach. And I think of a head coach as certainly the X and O's, the strategy person. But beyond that, they're an HR person. They're someone who is, um, you know, they're recruiting people. They're keeping their staff happy. They're disciplining people. They're, you know, hiring and firing other staff that work with them. And so it's there's a lot more that goes into it that I think, we don't see as fans as someone who's just on the outside. All you see, just like when you go into business and you just see, you go in to the restaurant, you get your food and leave, but all kinds of things happen behind the counter, right? And I think the same thing goes for head coaches. And so that it's true, I think, when people are saying what we really need is X, Y, or Z, or this person would absolutely 100% help our team. But that's not necessarily true because you may have someone who is like a Jaron Jackson and absolutely he's going to be a person who's going to make a difference at the five spot, but bringing Jaron Jackson in, you may lose two other players because again, they're only 200 minutes to play in the, on the court. And so your team might, yes, you could say, well, they're going to help you, but they may not overall, they may not, they might actually be helpful, right? Even though they might be a really talented person, maybe there's someone who is not a good teammate. And then in that case, you've actually made your team worse, even though you may have someone who's got talent. And so all that's to say is that when people, um, assume you need something or, or that it'd be nice to have someone around and insurance or whatever. There is a cost to that. And, and it's sometimes hard for us to, to realize that you're asking some kid to come in and be a player who's sitting on the bench. Well, if he's really talented, he's not going to want to do that. And so there may be some dysfunction. And even in that interview that Izzo did with Graham Couch, he mentioned that, that you have people who might be upset if they have not as many minutes and he's trying to manage all this. And that's why, even though we have 13 scholarship spots, it's not realistic to have 13 players 
who will expect to play because at in the past you could say, well, they're going to expect to eventually be a player, right? You have some freshmen who won't play till they're juniors. That is just not the environment I think right now. Maybe it will be that way in a couple of years. I'm not sure if things will change the landscape though. It seems to be moving more towards you have a smaller playing core and then the reserves who come in in you know, mop up time or if you know injuries plague your team. And so I think it's I think we just need to be cognizant of the that we have to defer some to the coach and the coach may be wrong and Tom Izzo certainly has been wrong before and he could be wrong you know in the future but I think we need to be very careful about just making assumptions that something needs to happen or that this person is absolutely going to be the person the, the solution or that it wouldn't be nice just to have an extra person sometimes that is actually not helpful and so I think I just want to get that out of the out of the way because I think it it's sort of a good foundation for us to have a discussion on now the roster is supposedly set. It is a very complicated picture. And I will admit, even more complicated than I think I assumed a year ago. And I think that article, that interview that Izzo did with Graham Couch, actually was important for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that it laid out a lot of these points that you just were alluding to discussing that we've discussed here previously. Um, And it was important because I think a large section of the fan base needed to hear it from him. It was not going to be enough for people like you and I to discuss this um, or other or anybody else. And I'm not saying that I think Izzo articulating his mindset on this and his approach uh, will be enough to quell a lot of those doubters. I mean, I have seen more consternation in the Michigan State fan base regarding Tom Izzo in the last, say, six weeks than I have at any time since... I guess the winter of 1997 when they lost to U of D, I figure that was the low point. Um, That was before that team of course ended up winning the big 10 championship, but in November and December coming off two straight NIT seasons, there were people that were beginning to wonder if Izzo was the right guy and the loss to U of D did not help matters. Thank God we didn't have social media then, Uh, but we do now. And you've seen, this level of consternation. And on on one level, I get it. I can say with uh, complete sincerity that I can look at Michigan State's roster and think, A, you don't have anything really proven at the five spot because you've got two freshmen, and I'm counting Carson Cooper because – I know what the stated intention is that he'll redshirt, but he may not. He may end up playing. Izzo alluded to that in the couch piece. It was more equivocal than the initial statements were about Cooper's role. Um, so there's, I understand that, you know, those, you got two freshmen, you got Mati Sissoko, who frankly has not proven that he's capable of being more than a five minute a night cameo guy. Understand all that. It's totally legitimate to look at it and feel that way. Um, it's also legitimate 
to look at the roster as a whole and say, okay, counting Carson Cooper, you have only 10 scholarship players. And even if you add in, if you assume that Jason White is going to play this year, technically he's not a scholarship player, although he was at, at a D1 school previously, um, that's 11 guys. Are you short bodies in general? Are you in a position where you can easily absorb an injury of any kind of real length? Okay, fair. All fair, but you have to have, in my view, ultimately what this comes down to is a very simple proposition. Do you believe that Tom Izzo knows his roster and his players better than anybody else? And going along with that, do you trust in his assessment of what he has? And if the answer to both of those is yes, putting that together with his track record, with 20, whatever it is now, 25 straight tournament appearances, whatever the number is now, um, I, I, I guess I just don't understand how anyone who knows and acknowledges all of those things can look at this and say, yeah, but I still know sitting here on May 19th, 2022, he's made a grave error. He might have. We certainly have to allow for that, that we could look back at all of this, say next February or March and say, man, he needed to do whatever he had to do to add a body for whatever reason, performance, depth, whatever, both, whatever it is. We very well might be in that position. I can just tell you, that the handful of times that I've seen things completely differently than the way Izzo does, I'm talking about recruiting decisions primarily. I don't usually take a lot of issue with what he does strategically, although there have been occasions there too. But the vast majority of the time, guess who's been right? <laughs> Me? The guy doing a podcast? No. <laughs> The guy getting paid millions to coach who has all those banners up at Breslin and is in the Hall of Fame already, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's where I get to. I can acknowledge and even agree with the concern that many people have looking at the way the roster appears to be right now. But I also know that the guy in charge knows what he's got. So specific to the five position. He has a better feel for what he thinks Marty Sissoko, Jackson Kohler, and perhaps Carson Cooper will provide, right? And I have to put my faith in that. And that's not just because I'm a Michigan State alum and a Michigan State fan. That's part of it. Admittedly, I have a bias, right? But it's also something that the track record supports. I mean, I, I've lost count of how many times – there were elements of the fan base that doubted him for one on one point or another over the years. And as I said, there's even been a couple of occasions where I've been among those people. He wins those at a scary rate. <laughs> so that's what I think. If, if you've got these concerns, I get it. I understand. But if you want something to give you a little bit of solace as a Michigan State fan, I would keep that in my in my mind because it's real. 
It's real, it's documented, and it's the stone cold truth. Now, as they say in the world of stock trading, uh, past performance does not guarantee future results, right? Okay, this might be the time that he's really wrong about a significant thing. Maybe, but the track record tells me the odds are he's probably not. So that's my, I mean, we're going to talk a lot yeah. more about this, but that's kind of my overarching thought is if you don't have faith, and, and it's funny too, the criticisms that you see on, on social media, on fan sites, you know, all over the place, most, most of these people I don't see getting to the point that to me would seem to have to be a logical conclusion to reach if you disagree with what I've just said, which would be, Izzo's past it, he's got to go. I don't see people saying that, and I don't understand why, if they think that this is a serious, maybe they think it's a one-year deal, and you know he'll get his hand burned by touching the stove, and um, and then uh, and then he'll fix it next year. I don't know. Maybe that's the mindset. But I mean, does that make sense? If you if you hold that position that you think that he's so drastically wrong about this, don't you have to reach the conclusion that? Well, he's past it. I don't know. Because it's a pretty fundamental deal, it would seem to me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you could argue, well, maybe you have to wait, give a year of performance. And I mean, it's, how do you fire a guy who's been to the NCAA tournament 25 straight years? Of course not. No, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. But, but that's what I mean. And again, it gets back to what I was saying about if, if you're going to, if there's a, a, a situation where the concept of benefit of the doubt would apply, isn't it here? Isn't this a pretty good example of that? And yet, man, I do not see much of that out there. I see some, but mostly and, and admittedly, um, and this is another thing we could talk about or not, but I do think absolutely there is a generational divide on this thing. I absolutely believe that. If you look at the social media accounts, and primarily I'm talking about Twitter, that are really going apeshit over this whole deal, um, my observation would be they tend to be people on the south side of 40. And if you're on the south side of 40, you probably don't have a very good memory of MSU basketball before Tom Izzo. And that can have implications. That can have implications in terms of what you think is a reasonable expectation. It can have implications in terms, well, primarily that. That's the big implication, I think. Um, and, I mean, I, you and I both know that the world that Michigan State fans have been living in for the last quarter century is not the real world. It's not the real world for anybody else. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it has not been the real world for Duke fans, Kentucky fans, Carolina fans. The only school that can really, the only two schools that can really point to a similar kind of performance where every single year they are in the tournament and the vast majority of the years they're a team being talked about as having a chance to do something would be Kansas and Gonzaga. The list stops there. Duke and Kentucky just missed the yeah. turn and Carolina, I think all three, didn't they miss the tournament last year? Yeah. I mean, two years ago now, Yeah, that recently, 
Yeah. Whatever. So if yeah. you think that this is somehow an easy thing to accomplish and it's to be expected and it's your God-given right as a Michigan State fan, you're wrong. You are wrong. It's that simple. And and I'm gonna I'm I'm also here to tell you that whenever Rizzo decides to leave, no matter who they bring in, you are probably going to find out just how wrong you are if you believe otherwise. That's just, I mean, I can, I can yeah. make that guess based on track records, you know? I mean, that's just how it goes because nobody, basically nobody does what Tom Izzo has done. So I think, unfortunately, a byproduct of that is some people, and I think they disproportionately tend to be people who don't have much of a memory of basketball here before Tom Izzo, um, think that it's just supposed to be this way. And if Tom Izzo doesn't have a team in the final four mix every other year, at least that's a failure. Well, he probably feels that way because he's the competitor that he is, but a rational person can't possibly look at that and agree with it and shouldn't. But I think too many of our fans feel that way in my observation. And it, it leads to tantrums. Like, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen over the last two weeks, basketball malpractice, if they don't add another player, what world are you living in? I mean, it's just crazy, but this is where we are. So I guess, I guess I get to, I get to try to be the counterweight against all that angst. It's not always fun well, to be there. And I think, I think there are a couple other things that are, that are leading into this. Like, I think Mel Tucker's success has been a real problem as well for Tom Izzo in the sense that he went into, he had a team that was struggling. I mean, D'Antonio's offense, you could score. They were boring. They, uh, they recruiting from a recruiting standpoint, they weren't measuring up to what they had done earlier in the, you know, it's all very recent history, right? Like 2016, they had a great recruiting class and then fell off right. the, that class didn't do well and they struggled and, they were definitely declined. Mel Tucker took over COVID hits weird year. And I think everyone kind of gives him a pass for that year. And then he just goes in the right. portal and he's, I mean, it, it looks like he just magically yep. pulled out a team, a national contender, right? Or big 10 contender where before the season, people were, would have been happy with six, seven wins, like a winning season would have been a success. And yet they end up beating Michigan and, you know, almost uh, winning the big 10. And so I think there's that, there's that element. And the fact that Izzo, not a young guy, a guy who's been around a long time. The game has changed. The recruiting has changed. The rules have changed. And there's, I think, naturally people think, especially if you're younger, that old people, uh, not are dumb, but they just aren't, they right. just can't adapt to new technology. They can't mm-hmm. adapt to new processes. And so, you know, Izzo can't use, can't even use Twitter. The guy, I mean, the, uh, you know, right? So the guy, so he's going to have trouble with uh, finding the right team and he doesn't understand the portal or how important it is to get these players or how many scholarships you need. You can see how people can get sucked into this mindset that the game has passed passing by. I mean, everybody thinks this when someone has been coaching is successful for a while and then suddenly they're not as successful. Right. And I think that I think a little bit of Izzo's enemy is the fact that Tucker has, has heard has changed expectations from the athletic community in general at Michigan state. And so I think there's this thought, well, we barely made the tournament two years in a row uh, or not, maybe not last year, but the year before, certainly. So maybe this, maybe he just doesn't understand what you have to do to win now. And it's changed to your point though, Kansas, you know, they're one of the rare, rare exceptions where you have Roy Williams. He's replaced by Bill self. They almost, there's like not even a bump, but that is very unusual, right? You look at 
Indiana and a bunch of other schools where they just have not had it, have not managed that sort of success. And we are somewhat spoiled by Izzo. And I think, and I think is betting against Izzo is sort of like betting against a guy at the blackjack table who counts cards. And to your point where he tends to be a little bit, he just tends to be right more than, than we are. Uh, it's because he has experience. He has a, a depth of knowledge that we cannot possibly have. He sees guys in practice. He sees how they interact with each other, right? He, he knows them better than anybody else. Um, but again, as you said, he could be wrong, but I think it's, it's important to say we're not here saying Izzo's flawless. He's, he's always right. We trust Izzo and everything because I think, you know, we understand that people, humans are prone to errors at times, but you have a team that was not terrible last year. I, everyone keeps talking about on the, at least these social media, like Michigan state had a horrible, like they had a losing season. I mean, yeah, they didn't make the the sweet 16, but they played Duke, which ended up in the final four right to the last you know few minutes. They had them on the ropes. So it's not like, it's not like we had a trashy team. It was a team that sort of came together a little bit later. And I think showed itself. It's, it just was a little different type of team than we've seen in the past for Michigan state. So I think those things have have made it a little bit made it tough for people to try and kind of get a grasp on and maybe panic that there were I think they're just worried that it's going to get worse versus getting better, right? I think hey, we're about 3 or 4 games away from not making the tournament and having and having the streak end. And the year before that was, you know, pretty dicey. It didn't look like we'd even make the tournament. Yet, you know, he somehow pulled it off, right? Managed to beat Michigan Illinois. Uh, in that last, uh, the last little flurry at the end of the season, so I think those things add a lot of angst to the to the fan base because they worry about what might happen. Not that things are were terrible right now, but that they're they see the they see the possibility, the potential for a disastrous season. I guess. Whereas I look at, it, I'm like, I, we can go through the roster here in just a moment, but I look at the roster, I'm like, I, I'm. I'm a little trepidatious about the the five spot for sure. I mean, I think it's untested, which is, you know, that's not a secret. But all the other positions, I feel pretty good about. I feel like really good depth, and I think we've got a lot of talent. And yeah, we may not be great at the five, but, you know, if you're really good at one to four, you're going to be very competitive. Yeah. I mean, you think you're at least a tournament team and contending. And if you get something out of the five, we, I mean, yeah, who we knows? can talk about the roster in a little bit more depth in a second. But I do want to respond to what you said here because I think. I think raising uh, Mel Tucker in a football program is is absolutely on point. That is a big part of this. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the worst thing that happened to Michigan State basketball discourse, not the program, but just discourse, is what happened last year with Mel Tucker's football team. Because it, it suggested to people two things one that it's easy two that it translates i don't think it does now let's step back for a second first and talk about tom Vizzo, because i've seen people suggest that the reason tom Vizzo is not active in the portal this year is that he hates the portal and he hates the portal. Why? Because he's told us all he hates the portal. That part is unambiguously true. <laughs> but you know what? He ranted from day one 
about the grad transfer rule when that was instituted before the 2011 season, 2011-2012. Uh, Ranted about it, said it was going to end up meaning that guys at the mid-major level develop players, and then right when they're about to be able to capitalize on somebody becoming really, really good, that player would leave for a bigger program. Okay? So he hated that rule. The very first year it was in place, he took a grad transfer, Brandon Wood. Um, he also took Ben Carter <laughs> yeah. as a grad transfer. And I know that's a demonic name around people who think that Ben Carter playing some minutes against Syracuse instead of Jaron Jackson lost them that game. Um, but regardless, so he's done that twice. He's also added conventional transfers over that same period several times. Guys who had to sit out a year. Uh, Bryn Forbes, Aaron Harris, um, Joey Hauser. And then, Joey and then Hauser, yeah. he went into the portal last year to add Tyson Walker. So if you're going to try to argue that Izzo knows that he doesn't have a team that's up to snuff, but God damn it, he's going to go down with the ship because he doesn't believe this rule is right. and He's going to refuse to add guys because of that. I think you're out of your mind. The track record doesn't tell us that. <laughs> he hates the concept of transferring, and he has articulated many, many times. You mentioned the couch article. There was another thing he did a day earlier. He went on radio in the Lansing area with Tim Stout, and I listened to an excerpt from it. Um, which also got into some things and he got into, he got into a, maybe a little bit more of the stuff that he said many, many times in other forums as to how he feels about some of the rule changes, how he feels that the real problem is not for guys like him, but that he thinks it's, it's letting the kids themselves down. It's teaching them the wrong things. It's teaching them that adversity isn't something that you fight through. It's something you run from, you know? And, and by the way, I think he's got some very salient points on those fronts. I think he's largely right. I, I don't, I don't think that the transfer rules should be restrictive though. You know, you can agree with him on that stuff and yet still understand that morally and legally the right of a player to leave should be different than it was under the old system, you know? But it doesn't make him wrong in terms of the downsides that he sees, you know. But people people see all this stuff and they say, well, obviously it means that he's going to refuse to, to take advantage of these opportunities. Well, the track record does not tell us that. Now, one thing that is worth mentioning, in some of these instances, not all, um, he had relationships with the guys he ended up bringing in his transfers. So he knew Bryn Forbes, obviously, because he was a Lansing kid and he was recruiting Denzel Valentine, who was a teammate of Bryn's at Lansing Sexton. Um, he knew, uh, he definitely knew Joey Hauser because he recruited him very hard out of high school. The other guys, he had no relationship with Tyson Walker. Now I understand there was somebody on staff who knew Tyson Walker um, and that might have had something to do with them getting involved, but Izzo didn't have that relationship. As far as I know, he didn't have a relationship with Ben Carter. Aaron Harris is an Indianapolis kid, but MSU did not recruit him as best as I'm aware uh, out of high school. 
And I don't think they had any relationship with Brandon Wood, who was also an Indiana kid, but I don't think they, I don't think they knew him. So I, I, I don't think any of these things really stand to much scrutiny. You know, they don't stand up to scrutiny. My point here being, if you think that Tom Izzo is refusing to do this for the reason that he doesn't believe in the transfer portal and therefore it's a protest vote of sorts, I think you're crazy. I don't think that's true. I choose to take him at his word. And what he said in that couch article was two things, primarily. He said a lot of things, but two things that I focused on. The first is there is an increasing need to be cognizant of the team you already have and keeping those guys, quote unquote, happy. Okay, and a lot of people were focusing on this today. And this gets around to your football point. That's in a meandering way. I'm getting back to that. Um, <laughs> I've seen some reactions today that suggest that there basically are this, and I'm paraphrasing, but well, you know, if you bring somebody in and a kid on the team doesn't want to compete, screw them. They're not, they're not, they're not as tough as they need to be at Michigan State. And get out of here. No big deal. We'll just replace them with somebody who wants to be here and wants to compete. Well, that sounds tough. That sounds good. But you're not in that locker room. You're not at the Berkowitz. You don't know. And there's a big difference between football. There are many, many differences between football and basketball. Many, many differences. Just the sheer size of the rosters is one difference. Um, the understanding and willingness to accept biding your time to have a role is different because in football for starters, you can't be a one and done. The NFL has collectively bargained that off the table. So, you know, going in, you're going to do three years, right? I think it's three years. Um, I think so. Yeah. At that is two, not yeah. the case in basketball. The mindsets, if you don't realize this, I don't know what you're, you're not paying attention. The mindsets are very, very, very different. So let's use Michigan State's current roster as an example to try to illustrate the point. And I'm only using these, these names as, or this name as an example. I actually don't have any, under, any knowledge as to where his head is at, was at, but you'll see my point. Someone like Pierre Brooks. Pierre Brooks was... A highly recruited, highly decorated player, top 100, even in some instances, maybe top 75 kid in recruiting. A lot of people wanted him. Um, Mr. Basketball winner chose Michigan State. Came in last year, played a little bit, but fair to say a very limited role, right? I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me. I, I've got to believe he probably averaged no more than four or five minutes a game, if that, and he didn't play in every game. Yeah. All right. Now you got a year with that. And he was clearly willing to accept that. I think they had, they had prepared him that that might be the case and it might be mostly a learning year for him. Other guys have gone through that and he accepted it. And apparently it was fine because he's still with the team. If you brought somebody else in to take he let me back up half a step. So now we look at Michigan State's roster going forward into this next season. Gabe Brown has left. Max Christie has left. If you are Pierre Brooks, 
you look at that roster, you say, boy, there's an opportunity for me to play a lot more. And we can assume that he wants to do that. Right. Um, If you bring somebody else in, there absolutely is a very real chance that Pierre Brooks or somebody in Pierre Brooks situation to take it away from him might look at it and say, you know what? I was, I was cool with not playing a lot my first year. I'm not cool with doing it again. And he goes. So when you are a coach and you are deciding how to deal with the portal, you have to, there's a lot of different elements floating around all at the same time that you've got to keep in mind. Yes, you can bring in a guy who makes you better, quote unquote. Maybe he makes you better because he's just a better player than anybody else you've got at that spot. If that's the case, well, maybe that's what you do. Maybe he makes you better because he provides depth. He's another guy who could credibly play for you. That latter part is not as clear because then you have to also keep in mind, what does adding this guy do to my guys who are back? who are already in the program. And what do I think about those guys who are already in the program and their futures? Do I think that, well, I could bring in a senior guys played three years and maybe he gives me 10% more this year than Pierre Brooks could. But I think I'm going to have Pierre Brooks for another year or two after that. What do you do? If you think that adding this guy means Pierre Brooks hits the highway, very real. If you don't think that happens, again, you're not paying attention. Just take a look at Michigan. Michigan adds uh, the Llewellyn kid from Princeton at guard, who isn't even a pure point guard by my understanding. He's played it a little bit. Their point guard of the future, Frankie Collins, looked at that and said, I got to get out of here and hit the road for Tempe. He's at Arizona State now. Michigan did not want to lose him, did not expect to lose him when they added Llewellyn. I, I guarantee you that. But it happened. And it happened for that reason, because Frankie Collins looked at it and said, you know what? Last year I played some, but not as much as I want to. I'm looking at this roster now, and it looks like there's an open path for me to be a starter and play big minutes. But they just brought in this other guy, and he could cut into my time. Screw that. I'm gone. That is what you have to always – you are going through that process constantly and that was the thing that when when i first thought about this when they made the rule change with uh you know instituting the portal and the instant eligibility on a trans on a first time transfer i didn't i'll admit it i didn't appreciate it enough fully i do now because we've had enough experience with it and looking at what it does basketball is a different animal in that way than football it just is you know um michigan state can bring in guys on the football team at certain positions. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else is going to go because maybe some of those guys are young enough that they figure, you know what, my timeline's not really impacted by this. You know, I'm not on this mad dash to get to making money to get to the pros. Um, And I think it's, I think you it impacts your team in a very different way. It also impacts your team in a different way because on, on a football team, you're talking about 85 scholarship guys. And how many in our playing group, offense and defense combined? Probably, what, 30-some? 
not even half the full roster yeah sure. are actively playing maybe it's half maybe it's like you know 40 um in basketball man one guy can make a big difference in a lot of ways positively and negatively there's also related to that the cultural stuff if you miss and you bring in a guy who's a cultural problem for your team because you didn't you felt right, compelled right. to just add a body in a basketball locker room it's a lot smaller and when it's smaller I think the chances are greater that you have a negative impact from that in football. It would seem to me to be a lot easier to absorb that. Just my thoughts, but sure. Yeah. It's like, if you're, it's like if you're a a business, I mean, everyone most likely has been someplace where they have a toxic individual who is someone who is disruptive and hurts the team. Like you're you're the working team. And I think to your point, about Michigan State, I think another thing aspect to the Mel Tucker thing that I think people don't recognize or think about much. Mel Tucker had really, I mean, there wasn't a, it wasn't totally bare cupboard, but it was a cupboard that was pretty bare in many in many positions. So he had, I mean, he for one thing he had to go to the portal to get players to raise his team up to a level that was competitive on the field against you know Ohio State, and Michigan, uh, to be you know to have a chance. And so he was able to, and he, of course he got lucky and found a Heisman Trophy. <laughs> I guess he didn't end up in the, but you know, Kenneth Walker's obviously really great, but uh, so he got that. And so I think Michigan state is just not desperate, right? I think, you know, they're just not, they're not like with holes everywhere. And and so you don't need to bring all these people in. And to your point, you've got to make sure you bring someone in that they are actually going to significantly make your team better and maintain the culture and maintain the, everyone happy with the amount of minutes they're going to play. It, It almost feels like now, I would say the when coaches used to leave the NCAA and they go to the NBA, which happened frequently, they'd often flame out. And I felt it was because the coaching, the job as a head coach is different in the NBA than it is in college ball. In college, you do have somewhat more uh, structured, I guess, you know, players. They stick there with your team for four, three to four years. You have a red shirt or something like that. But generally speaking, you're, you don't have to deal with roster management every single year. Whereas in the NBA, you have free agents. You're trying to find minutes for everyone. You're trying to get stars in. you have to get other people leave. And it seemed like it from a personnel standpoint, it was a lot more challenging in the NBA than it was in the, in college basketball. And now it's starting to feel a little bit more like that in college basketball that you have not true free agency, but you know, you have the transfer portal that people can leave once when they want. And so it is, it's harder to navigate. And I think it, in, um, I think it's probably true that Izzo's kind of trying to figure this out as well. I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure it out. And and again, to your point, you look at Michigan and Jawan Howard lost someone he didn't want to lose, and so he's he's felt the brunt of that. One of my one of my favorite words in in this whole discussion with people has been the word help. Does adding yeah. a player help? So look at the Michigan situation. Did Juwan Howard help or hurt his program by what he did? What's the net effect going to be? Adding Llewellyn, losing Collins. We don't know the answer to that yet. It might end up that it's a that it's a positive in the end. But don't pretend that answer is preordained because it's not. We don't know yet, and there's some reason to suspect that it's a net negative. We'll see. That's what I'm getting at. It is not enough to look at somebody's stats at another school at another level, or even if they're coming from another high major and say, well, 
plug this guy into this position where we don't have much experience and it helps us. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. You have to look at a bigger picture. And that's, this is where I really find it hard to understand anybody that, that is aware of all of these things we're talking about is aware of who Tom Izzo is and what his track record is and still says, oh, he screwed up by not adding somebody. Really? You know that? I, I don't know how you can. And I don't know how you can't. What, is that, what does that guy have to do to earn benefit of the doubt? What's the standard, if not what he's already done at Michigan State? What is the standard that would say, all right, this looks crazy to me. I don't understand it, but that's how this guy sees it. So I'm going to defer to his judgment. What would be necessary for people? I, that's that's the part that is just mind boggling to me. You should you should have the humility. It would seem to me if you are a Michigan State fan and you are looking at a circumstance and it doesn't make any sense to you. But Tom Izzo says it makes sense to him. You should probably have the humility to say, you know what? Until that guy, and I don't mean blind faith, but until that guy really gives me a real reason to doubt his decisions on that kind of front, I'm probably going to figure he knows more than I do. I, I don't know. Does that strike you? Yeah. Because I think I think some people, there's another narrative that just drives me crazy because, again, it. It ignores the differences. It ignores the fact that you can't easily compare the sports. But I have seen a lot of talk about how what's going on reminds people of the last days of D'Antonio. Um, one big difference in my mind is, as I, and I don't follow football recruiting nearly to the level that I do basketball recruiting. But my understanding was, that after that 16 class that you mentioned that flamed out uh, for D'Antonio, that recruiting really started to suffer. And, and that produced the holes that you mentioned Mel Tucker had to go out and fill via the transfer portal in part. Um, as best as I can tell, I don't see Tom Izzo slowing down on the recruiting front. He's got a, he's got two pretty highly regarded guys coming in this year and, and a, you know, took a flyer on a kid that I think probably has a chance. He's got a guy I think is going to be great in the next class already lined up in um, uh, the kid from Illinois, uh, Jeremy, um, Jeremy Fears. And, um, and more guys, Booker, Green, they just, they just uh, offered a kid from Wisconsin who's a top 50 kid tonight. Um I think he's probably going to have another pretty good class this year. So that's one big way I don't see a valid comparison. Um, and again, we're talking about down years. What's a down year at Michigan State? Oh, you made the NCAA tournament. You won a game and you took Duke to the last three minutes and change. That's a down <laughs> year. And you had a winning season in the Big Ten. You know, again, this gets back to expectations, man. I, I'm with everybody who wants Michigan State to win the national championship every year. That's not the world. That's not the real world. And if that's not happening every year, it doesn't mean your coach is at the end of the goddamn line. It's crazy. 
So, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of worth in that. Oh, this has late D'Antonio written all over it. I, I don't see that, but you know, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think he said, he set the stage really high, which is what he wants. But of course you have to live with those high expectations, right? Making the NCAA tournament, making a run that you're always, you're always a risk for being, you're always a sleeper in the, the tournament, no matter where you're seated. And I mean, I, you could argue last year's team was pretty close. Like had they beaten Duke, it's hard. Anything was possible, right? I mean, they, they, they were, they, they played Duke to the, to the, I mean, they had a real chance of beating Duke and they did last but. year's team had, I, I would call it a bookend year. They were pretty damn good for the first yeah. six weeks, five weeks of the season. And then they were pretty good yep. for the last two in between struggles, but, yeah. but, even in the struggles, waxed the hell out of Michigan at home, beat Purdue. You know, there were still some highlights even during those tough periods. Let's Again, people talk about down years or an okay season. Man, talk to me about following this program when it made the NCAA tournament <laughs> twice in the 1980s. A decade. They made it twice. You know, that's... That's that. And, yeah. and by the way, I, I, I think Judd Heathcote's the second best coach in MSU history. And I'm a big fan. I, I think there were reasons, there were some reasons for that, which were not entirely within his control, namely that the big 10 was at the peak of its cheating and he refused to cheat, but be that as it may, the, the bottom line is they did not have the success that is anything close to the success that is absolutely taken for granted at this stage. And, and I just think, I want to be clear about this. Um, I, I had somebody on a message board tell me that I'm complacent. Well, first of all, I don't know what my complacency or lack there. That's never a word yeah, I'd use for you. I, I wouldn't either, but <laughs> apparently so in this person's eyes. Um, I would, first of all, I, whether I'm complacent or not has zero to do with what Michigan State basketball is going to do right? That's the most important thing. It doesn't right. matter. Okay. The only guy whose complacency might be an issue, if it were the case, is Tom Izzo's or his players. That's it. Um, but secondly, I, I don't think that it is evidence of complacency to point some of these things out that, hey, if you're, if you're feeling like somehow the sky is falling because Michigan State had the season that they just had, I mean, really feeling that way. You might want to re-examine your priorities and your understanding of how the world works because it is, <laughs> talk to a fan of just about any other program in America, 25 or whatever it's been, straight trips to the tournament is not assured to you. It is not preordained. And you have had that in East Lansing primarily because of the work of one guy. And and so given that, if he's making certain choices and he's telling you what the reasons are for those choices, and the most important thing is he still thinks, as he said in that Graham Couch interview today, he likes his team. He thinks this has got the capability of being a very good team this year. If you're going to hear all that and just disregard it, well, good luck to you. Because a lot of people have gotten on the wrong end of a bet against Tom Izzo um, would probably tell you you ought to rethink that. 
Well, to that point, let's talk about the roster. We'll obviously go more in depth coming up close to the season when it's uh, starting, but let's let's look at the roster because I, th- I as I said earlier, I think one through four really good. I mean, I think expect a lot of great things from this team. Experience they got a lot of scoring, athleticism, and. And at least in the the article with Izzo talking about the five with Sissoko, the one thing we've really struggled with is is you know rebounding, and he thinks he's going to be a, a plus with rebounding, which we could certainly use. So let's kind of just I guess go through the roster why why you think you should be why we should be optimistic and not panicking that there's like this gigantic gaping hole in the team that that's going to be you know make it impossible for us to be successful. All right. Well, I think where you start is where every team starts, and that's at the point guard position. And I would say this. If you are looking for reasons to be optimistic about what Michigan State can be next year, that's a pretty good place to start because not only is there good reason to believe that guys who both had their moments last season will be better this coming year, there's reason to think that, but if you are better at that particular position, it tends to elevate your entire team. It, the impact of a good point guard situation is disproportionate to any other spot on the floor. I, I think that's an inarguable point. Um, specifically, we're talking about three guys who I think we'll see some time there, two primarily. Uh, A.J. Hogard. Everybody saw the development that he had last season. And I thought, I thought late in the year, that run, those last two weeks, big 10 tournament, NCAA tournament, AJ Hogard was really, really good. And he had certainly shown at other points in the season to be really, really good. He had other moments where he was far less than good. And I think there, it has been a rocky road to get with Izzo to get him to where Izzo wants him to be as a leader, as a decision maker, as a floor general, all the things that he demands out of a point guard. But I think we saw AJ make progress. If he continues to make progress on those fronts, and that's the only progress he makes, that's good enough for me because it means he'll have a really good season. What's implicit in what I'm saying is I don't believe AJ Hogard needs to shoot 35% from three next year to be better. If he is, if he does that, great. That's going to open up even more for him. But he's already shown that he can be an effective player offensively without a great jumper. Now, could he be better with one? For sure. But I think he can be good enough to really help Michigan State if he improves the intangible stuff, which is something I don't think as many people appreciated as an area he needed to work on as should have last season. But I can guarantee you, I'm not guessing about this. It was a constant source of discussion within Michigan state's program. No matter what you thought you saw from AJ Hogard, they were not satisfied with what they were getting from him for most of last season. Um, They were happy with what they got from him at the end. And my understanding is, Everybody involved feels like they're on the same page going forward, which is great to hear. Um, I've said this many times. I was a dyed-in-the-wool A.J. Hogard doubter. This gets back to what I was saying about 
the getting on the opposite end of, of a choice with Izzo. <laughs> I absolutely was on AJ Hogarth, 100%. Said it many times on this podcast. For anybody who thinks I never say these words, I'm going to make them crystal clear right now. I was wrong. He did enough last season, even as an imperfect player, to demonstrate clearly I was wrong about A.J. Hogard. So, that's I mean, it's, it's that simple. I think it's a great place to start is with a guy who can, can get downhill, make plays at the rim for himself, is a can be an effective passer. I think, again, his decision-making and his mindset has to continue to improve. I said it here a few times last season. I think he's the best passing throw-ahead transition point guard since Cleves that's been in the program. A lot of strengths. I also think he made some real strides defensively last year. You go back to that win against Purdue and the way he guarded Jaden Ivey, who's likely to be a top-five pick. That was impressive, and it wasn't the only time he did something like that. Um, so you like where he's at. Tyson Walker, I think, is going certainly to see some time at the point as well. I also think he and AJ are going to play together a lot. They might even start together. We don't know. But I think there's a, a distinct possibility that, that will be the case. I think Tyson Walker has all Big Ten potential. The, the question with him is does he believe that <laughs> that's the thing I can look at these two guys on paper and say hey Michigan State should have a great point guard situation right but with both of them improvement is not just automatic it's going to depend on their mindsets changing so in AJ's situation it's about trusting teammates fitting into the the overall team concept, being a better teammate. It's those types of things, making your decision, improving your decision-making with Tyson Walker. It's kind of the other end of the spectrum. It's do you believe you're capable of being the baddest man on the court at any given time? Because your tools tell me you can be, but your mindset wasn't always there. I mean, any Michigan state fan is going to go back to those last 10 minutes or so of that near miss against Illinois at the Breslin and see what Tyson Walker is capable yeah. of doing. He is capable of that. I'm not saying he's going to go out and average 30 a night, but he is capable of being a serious scorer in this league. And he can balance it. He has the capability of balancing it with good playmaking. You know, he's not as dramatic, as spectacular as Hogard, but Tyson generally makes pretty good decisions, and he's a very effective defender. You know, different kind of defender than Hogard, but unbelievably quick hands, um, disruptive in a way that not many Michigan State players have been under Izzo. You know, so there, there's a lot to like with those two guys. And if they if their mindsets improve the way that I hope, and I'm assuming the way that Izzo hopes, yeah, Michigan State could have an outstanding situation at the point guard spot. And then you add in the freshman, Trey Holloman, I don't know how much I'd expect to see him on the ball, but he'll he'll be on the ball a little bit at least. Um, I like Trey Holloman's future a lot. I think he, you know, he's six two, six three. Wingspan is much longer than that, it appears to me. So I don't think he'll have a problem guarding bigger players on the wing. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be 
an outstanding defender, not just a good one. And I think he should be pretty good right away. Uh, everything I've seen about him suggests that he's a leader. He's a winner. Um, very effective at getting to the rim himself, going off the dribble. If there's a weakness, it's it's kind of like Hogard where the jumper needs to be better. I expect he'll shoot a little better than AJ has to date, but that's still the one area where you'd you'd really want to see improvement. But look, Trey Holloman's going to play. Some off the ball, some on the ball. But if that's your third string point guard, you're in pretty good shape. And th- and that's the one spot yeah. that Michigan State probably is you can feel okay about withstanding an injury, at least short term. You unfortunately you'd probably lose a guy who's also playing on the wing, but you know the, in 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 terms of just that having guys who are competent running and executing an offense, I think they've legitimately got three guys, and and that's a great spot to be in, and I think it sets Michigan State up to be pretty damn good if those guys are are as good as I think they will be this year. Yeah, and then, and then I feel like the 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 break is going to be much better this year, partly because of of what AJ's become, and I think Walker seem to be more comfortable with it. But I think you have better players who are going to be attacking the rim a lot more than we did last year. And I feel that was the one thing we had more pull up people. Like Gabe Brown is not; he would occasionally attack the rim, but not very often. And I feel like that was one thing that with Jay Nakins, I think he's going to be a person who's going to be attacking the rim a lot more. And I think, you know, Malik Hall as well, too, right? Yeah. Let, let's, let's talk about Jaden, because if we move to the wings, I mean, he's the guy that very clearly is going to step. I, I don't think there's any way he doesn't start. And I think that's a good thing for Michigan State. Uh, I, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that didn't see his performance last year as uh, something – to get excited about in terms of what it might mean going forward because he showed the vast potential. I think a lot of people believed he has, he's an outstanding athlete. I think he was pretty good for a freshman defensively last year. I think he's got another gear or two in him. I think he could be a lockdown defender actually. Um, and he shot well as a freshman, you know, I think he ended up shooting 35% on threes. That's not bad. Um, he has, he and Tyson Walker are the two guys that because of their combination of quickness and handle can create their own shot at any time. You saw them both do it this year with a fair amount, um, where they use the dribble to create space and then step back and take a largely uncontested jumper. Um, that's a hell of a weapon to have uh, at your disposal. I also think Jade Nakins can be an outstanding wing rebounder. And, and this is a bigger discussion that I think we need to have. Everybody acknowledges Michigan State has been down on the boards the last two years in particular. I would argue from a defensive rebounding standpoint, it's been longer than that. I think even in years where overall and on the offensive boards, they were still really good. So when you had a Xavier Tillman, you had a Nick Ward, Jaron Jackson, Miles Bridges, and even before that a little bit, um, that co- that performance covered up a less than great performance on the defensive boards. And I think what's happened is, as you've seen an increased reliance on three-point shooting, 
one thing that's going to produce often are longer rebounds, right? Shots from further out are going to tend to result when they're missed in longer kicks off the glass, off the rim. Your perimeter guys have to be part of your defensive rebounding. And I feel that Michigan State's perimeter group, we talked about it a lot last year, man. It got to be just repetitive. (laughs) How many rebounds did Gabe Brown have? How many rebounds did Max Christie have? Not enough. I think with this group, there's a chance, and I certainly wouldn't say it's a given, but I think there's a real chance that Michigan State's perimeter rebounding is going to be better. Jade Nakin's a big part of that. And if it is, Michigan State's rebounding overall is going to be improved no matter what happens at the five. People focus on the big guys when they think about rebounding. I understand why. But if you're looking at a team-wide performance in the modern era, you got to be talking about everybody. And Michigan State's perimeter guys have not been as good as they've needed to be the last several years, in my view. I think a Jade Nakin's, even a Pierre Brooks, playing bigger roles has a chance to change that positively. So if you're looking again for reasons for optimism, that's one thing I'd look at Um, in terms of areas of improvement for Jaden. To me, I think the biggest thing is this. He has all the tools to be at least in terms of size and athleticism, a deluxe version of guys like Kalen Lucas and Keith Appling in terms of what he could do as an attacking player at the rim. We didn't see him try to do it very often last year. I believe he has it in him because I think he's a confident kid and he certainly has all the tools. I think he has the handle, he has the strength, and he certainly has the athleticism and the quickness to get by people and finish in traffic or oversize at the rim. Will he start to do more of those types of that, that type of thing? If he does, then I think we could be seeing, you know, I think, I think a, a reasonable ballpark expectation for Jaden Akins playing the minutes that I think he's going to play would be, all right, he's a double digit scorer, but that might mean 10 points a game. If Jaden Akins can really make improvement in that one area I just mentioned, combined with the way he can shoot, combined with transition chances he'll get, Offensive rebounds, he might be able to convert, as we saw a few times last year. Um, You know, you could see a guy at the top end. I wouldn't take off the table that he could be a 15, 16 point a night guy. A lot has to happen. But does he have that potential? Absolutely, he does. He He could be a guy who has that, and maybe not to the same degree, but could he have that kind of Jaden Ivey, um, uh, Davis, uh, Murray kind of jump from freshman to sophomore year with a bigger role, more minutes. Yeah, for sure. The physical tools and the skill set is there. Yeah. Well, and I think that the, the rebounding to that point too, I think if it's improved is going to significantly help the break because, you know, when you're not getting the, when you're not cleaning up the boards quickly and efficiently, then, you know, you're, you can't get running at all. And that was the, the you can't right. Run. And that, and I've so often, as you say, we get those long rebounds and then, then that converts to a quick, you know, bucket at the other end of the court. And when you're not getting those long rebounds, you're, you're, you're struggling offensively sometimes. Absolutely. And then look, it's not, a, I'm not suggesting that it's something that's easy to do because again, at MSU, your impulse as a perimeter guy is I got it. Okay. There's a shot that's going up. I got to get ready to get to start running the lanes 
on the break because I have a responsibility to do that. But there's a balance you got to walk. And I do think it's been an issue. So hopefully they have some guys that are better able to strike that balance this year. And I do think Jaden Akins is a guy who's already shown he has a sense and a nose for the ball. One thing I absolutely believe about rebounding is you cannot real. I've just never seen it where a guy made huge improvement in terms of a sense for where the ball's going and ability to anticipate Dennis Rodman was a six foot eight guy. Who's the best pure rebounder I've ever seen in my life. I didn't see Wilt, but (laughs) he's the best I've seen. And part of the reason he was that is what I'm talking about. He was just quicker to the ball than everybody else around him. He wasn't out muscling everybody. (laughs) No, definitely not. You know, yeah, but he just had a better sense and reacted quicker. It's why a guy like Julius Marble, who was strong and tough and all of those things, and I think wanted to rebound well, couldn't rebound well because he didn't have a good sense of anticipation. And I, I, I've seen enough to tell me that Jay Makins may have that. Sure. So that could be a good thing. Well, and let's talk about Marble and and Christie because they both are leaving the program. Christie going to the NBA or, or the G League or whatever, going pro. He's, he's yeah. hired an agent, so he's definitely out the door. Marble already signed with Texas A&M. Uh, I, if my f- sense in general is I'm not terribly upset about either leaving. I mean, I think you'd definitely rather have those players than not have them because they're, you know, they're obviously good players. But I feel like it's not the end of the world not having either one of them. It, it just changes the makeup of the team. And perhaps you could argue Marble leaving is a bigger hole, obviously, at the five because you just don't have – you have less tested people behind him. But it feels to me like it's okay, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess what do you what does your feel about the departure of Marble and Christie? Well, look, let's start with Max first. I think that people there's two there's two thoughts that sort of cloud this a little bit. I think in terms of how people think about it, one is what he was as a recruit. So okay, he's a five star, and you lose that guy after one year and he didn't have a spectacular year with it. You're, you're unhappy about losing a player that because of the ranking he had coming in, in your mind, you have as a great player that could have come back and opted not to. Okay. That's the first thing. The other thing is I think for purposes of this Michigan state team, while I understand thoughts drifting to what Max might have been had he returned. That's natural. The reality is for this Michigan state team to be better, they have to replace and improve upon what Max Christie actually was last year, which is not the same thing as what he might have been. So at best, what you can say is having Max Christie return would have made that process easier. That might be true, but You got to, I mean, is that making sense? You have to keep those things distinct in mind. And if we're talking about replacing what Max Christie was last year, well, I think he was pretty good most of the time defensively. So that's definitely something that, you know, but I think Michigan State's perimeter group, I like the feel of what that group is going to be defensively. So I'm not too worried about that. Offensively, he didn't average double digits. He shot, I think, 31% from three. Wasn't great getting getting to the rim, I think, in large part because he lacks strength. 
I don't think it's because he doesn't have the ability to finish. I just think he's not strong enough either with the dribble or through traffic, you know, through bodies to finish. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I certainly am not trying to whitewash the loss of Max Christie, but there is a distinction between losing Max Christie and say if Michigan State had lost Miles Bridges after his freshman yeah, year right. or Gary Harris after his freshman year. Those guys as freshmen were real serious producers offensively. Max Christie wasn't at that level. So something to keep in mind. Again, I'm not I'm not saying that if if things had been straight with him that it wouldn't have been better to have him back. Of course it would have been. Um, but what Michigan State actually has to do as a task to get better as a team, it might be a little different than what the way you're thinking about it. That, that's all I mean. Um, with Marble, I, I, I mean, by all accounts, Julius Marble is a great kid. You can't fault him for his what I understand his mindset was as to why he made the decision to leave because it was it was a family matter. Makes total sense. I get it. Um, didn't seem to be any bad blood or ill will between him and, and Michigan State's program. But as a basketball player, uh, look, I mean, we'll, we'll get ample opportunities to revisit this as we go forward. But as we sit here today, I'm not so sure that it's not better in the long run for Michigan State that he left. And it means you're going to have to play Jackson Kohler and Mati Sissoko. And the reason I say that, I think I might have said this during the season. And I just alluded to it a few minutes ago. Julius Marble, we've seen for three years. Enough. We've seen him enough that I think we got a pretty good idea of what the strengths and weaknesses are. And unfortunately, in my opinion, and reasonable minds can differ, but in my opinion, his weaknesses are not very easily improved. I don't think you can teach anticipation, and that shows up for him both as a rebounder and defender. Um, and I think those are things that Michigan State, if they were playing Julius Marble as they might be tempted to, say 20 minutes or even more than that, because he's a veteran, it, it might make them a little bit better in November and December, but they might not be as good as they could be with other guys, younger guys with better tools, getting an opportunity and going through it and learning in February and March. It's really funny how a lot of the people who are critical about what's going on have also been critical in the past, in my observation, about Izzo not letting young guys play through mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, he's got a huge rotation. Nobody ever finds a rhythm. Well, you got your wish on some of these fronts, you know, but I, you know what I mean with, with regard to marble. Um, I don't know. We, none of us know about Jackson Kohler yet for sure as a defender and a rebounder, we're going to find out. I, I think offensively, I think given minutes, he can be every bit as productive offensively as Julius marble was maybe better. I mean, we're going to find out, but I, I've, I've said it here a few times. I have not been as impressed offensively by a Michigan State big man recruit in forever. Probably Zach Randolph, honestly. Uh, Paul Davis 
was certainly higher rated and had some tools physically that James a little bigger than Jackson and he was probably a better athlete. But Paul Davis didn't really learn how to play post-up basketball until he was a senior. Yeah. Jackson Kohler can do that now. He can do that tomorrow. So I, I like that. And then we're going to see what he can do as a rebounder and defender. And with Mati Sissoko, I mean, I think Mati Sissoko is at the crux of this entire disconnect between what Izzo sees and what large portions of the fan base see. Absolutely. I think he's at the hub of it, right? Um, I think Tom Izzo believes that there is a very, very good player for what Michigan State needs at that spot in Matty Sissoko. They just need to get it out of him. And I think the fan base looks at his cameos over the last two years and says, no way. And they might be right. But again, who am I trusting? <laughs> who am I if, I? if I'm being asked to put faith in something, who, where am I going to put that faith? I'm probably going to put it in the guy who's had the right answer more often than not. And maybe he'll be wrong this time. But if Mati Sissoko is what Izzo talked about in that interview with Couch, then is Michigan State better off with Mati playing 20 minutes as opposed to maybe 10 minutes and Julius Marble eating up 20? or 25, they might be, they might be, if he can be a defensive player and a rebounder at the levels they need, they could be better off with, with Julius gone. And, I, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that I think that that's necessarily Tom Izzo's opinion. I am under the impression that they didn't want to lose Julius Marble. That wasn't one where they were like, Hey, get out of here. Right. Um, but personally, and, and I think, after that happened, we can conclude that the reason they didn't add a veteran through the portal is because they think some of the things that I'm articulating right now are possible. I'm saying they're possibilities. They might feel stronger about it than that for all I know. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's how I feel about that. And then, you know, Carson Cooper, it's interesting when he committed, it was always oh, going to redshirt and a redshirt and a redshirt. If you read that couch interview closely, I got the impression that Izzo was equivocating a little bit more. Yeah. That, well, he might redshirt. It wasn't, he will redshirt. So we don't know. We've got no idea of knowing. I, I think I mentioned this when we talked about his commitment. You know, they can talk about he's going to redshirt all they want. and He could show up on campus next month and start blowing people away over the summer with how fast he's developing. And then that's off the table. He could do that. And he's in the rotation. You know, and then all of a sudden, well, you don't have a five problem anymore. I'm not saying I expect any of that. I'm just saying there are possibilities with all of this stuff. And and I don't think Izzo, Izzo is not a guy who's prone to make mistakes that massive in my mind. I, I don't see a lot of evidence for that. So. I do think they could be better there. Yeah. Well, and I think you also have, and, and you have Joey Hauser who could certainly platoon in there if you have to, for a few minutes a game, if there's foul trouble. He or talked about that yeah. today as well. Yeah. I think there are lots of options, but here's what I want to see here. Speaking of the Joey at the five thing here, here's what I personally want to see. I think that that happens in two ways that can happen because you're choosing it or that can happen because you're forced into right. it. And if Michigan state is able to do that, in choosing it as they did 
you know, I remember um, in uh, in the first game with Michigan, uh, AJ Hogard had a great game, and Joey Hauser did some nice things too against um, Dickinson. Nick, in fact, Hauser just tortured him because Dickinson can't guard anybody; he can't <laughs> right. move. So if you've got a three-point threat that he's got to guard, well, you're going to get open shots. That's just how it is. You just got to hit them. Yeah. You know? So if Michigan State is able to choose moments, they say, all right, we like this mismatch. We like what we think Joey can get done offensively against this lumbering oaf playing defense for Michigan or Purdue. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be able to ride out the other end well enough that's great if you're forced into it that can as we saw happen with michigan state sometimes last year that's not as good so it really depends i i would hope we don't see a ton of it that it's just selective use that would be my hope yeah we didn't talk about pierre brooks or malik Cole. that's true I yeah think we should yeah, but, and because and um, i guess my first question is with brooks is he a three or a four is he going to be sort of one of these kind of play both positions sort of depends on what what we're doing it looks, it looks like, from what Izzo said in that piece, it looks like he may be both, which does not surprise me. I mentioned that when he was being recruited and when they, when they landed him. Uh, he played four. He played all over the court in high school. With his high school team, at times he even ran the offense. I wouldn't necessarily call him a point guard, but the offense went through him. His AAU team, he played for the family, and for most of his time with them, they didn't have a lot of size. They had good guards, but then Jaden Akins was on that team. Um, Kobe Bufkin played with them one year. He was at Michigan. Um, they had a kid named Simon Wheeler, who was also good. He was a guard. Uh, so out of necessity, Pierre had to play the four. So I've seen him do it against high-level opponents, and, and I think he's got it in him. He's, he's a better athlete than you think. He's, I think he's a legit 6'6", and he's strong. That's a well-put-together kid. I mean, everybody knows I think he had to improve his conditioning a little bit. I'm expecting we're going to see a, a little different-looking Pierre Brooks next fall. But I absolutely think he can be a four-man in the modern game. I, I, I love that kid in high school. I mean, I, I, I think he's got, he's got the potential to be, and I'm not saying he's definitely going to end up being a player on the level with this guys with these guys but when i think about the versatility he has and all the different things he can do well i think about guys like denzel valentine um alan anderson you know guys of of that nature because he really does have all of those skills he's a very he was a very good rebounder in high school i think he can be a good rebounder at this level and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think he can be part of what improves Michigan State's rebounding on the perimeter if he's playing there, you know. And I think he can rebound well enough to hang at the four, too. Um, I think he's got the potential to be a good enough shooter to stretch defenses, you know. And a stretch four is a nice weapon to have. Michigan State's very fortunate. The two primary guys you think of at the four, Malik Hall and Joey Hauser, are both very good three-point shooters. So they've already got that, but Pierre can do that too. And yet Pierre's got kind of an off the dribble game that I think he could be tough to handle facing people up. 
especially against bigger opponents guarding him. He's a good passer, um, finishes well in traffic. I just, I, I love the kid's game. And I'm, I'm really, it's one of the things that, look, I would have loved it too if Michigan State would have brought in an all-world guy at the, on the wing, right? But the fact that they didn't pretty much ensures that Pierre Brooks is going to get a lot more playing time this year. And that does excite me because I know what I thought of him as a prospect when he was in high school and what I think he can be at Michigan State. So I'm excited to see him uh, from that perspective. I think the fact that Izzo was talking about him playing at the four more this year is also in part driven by this idea of Malik Hall playing more at the three. And I do think that's a distinct possibility. We first got wind of that when Joey Hauser gave an interview talking about his decision to return. And he talked about how he personally wanted he and Malik to be on the floor more at the same time. And he, he was under the impression that's what they were going to look to do. Well, he didn't mean he wanted to play the five and Malik plays the four. He meant Joey at the four, Malik at the three. I know that there, there are some people who I, I actually respect their opinions. The smart mag guys um, seem to be a little more skeptical than I am about Malik's ability to defend people at the three. I think, like a lot of things, I think it depends. It depends who you're talking about. You think about the Big Ten last year. Well, if Michigan is playing Caleb Houston at the uh, Houston at the at the three, do I think Malik Call could defend Caleb Houston? Hell yeah. yeah. If it's a guy who's more, oh, I don't know, um, Malik Malik Branham. Okay, maybe, but that but that guy's going to be a challenge for anybody. Yeah, right. It's not just Malik Hall. So I'm not quite as down on that. I mean, look, the proof's going to be in the plane. We're going to see it. But I do think that is their plan. So it's it's quite possible that we will see one of Holgarter Walker at the one, Akins at the two, and Malik Hall at the three, Hauser at the four, and somebody at the five. Um, that could be what we see in terms of a starting lineup. It would not be surprising. Um, but I – Look, we talked about Malik Hall so much last year. He's another guy alongside Tyson Walker. I believe there, I firmly believe there's an all Big Ten player inside of Malik Hall. The question is, does he believe that? Because sometimes he plays like a guy who thinks he's the baddest guy on the court, and sometimes he disappears. And Michigan State needs a lot more of the former. And if they get it, they're going to be a much better team, regardless of the position he's playing. You know, and then Joey, I mean, we talked about Joey at the five, but I think it's important talking about him for a second overall. With the way his season ended, boy, I just, I think there's the chance for him to really build on that and have a great last year. I really do. I mean, he's not a flawless player for sure, but the guy that we saw over the back half of Big Ten play and then especially in postseason, that was a that was a tough guy to handle. Yeah. His his three point shot got dialed in. He was a their most consistent defensive rebounder by a long shot, in my view. And I think he got better defensively. He's never going to be a great defensive player, but I think he got better defensively for sure. And and the turnovers stopped too. Yeah, you know that was another thing that improved. So yeah, I mean when you when you look at this roster overall. 
I do think, and the Big Ten, by the way, I think is probably going to be down a tick. I, the, we're going to talk about it more detail as, you know, probably starting next month, I would guess, once we get past the NBA draft um, decisions and we know with a little more certainty what the rosters are going to look like. But just at a, at a first glance, this is a Big Ten I think Michigan State can compete in, as is. Win it? Hey, I don't know. But compete? Yeah. And primarily I say that because I think one through four, there's a lot of either proven contribution or reason to think that guys are going to be up to improving this year. Admittedly, the five, there's a question mark, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I'm looking forward to the season. I think it's going to be fun. And We'll get into more discussion in the future here. Probably the next couple of weeks, we're going to start going over a couple more offers as they come in with Michigan State to other players. And until then, Rod, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.